Welcome back to Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom. Uh, using new equipment again for the second time this week. I think we've got it figured out, so hopefully no technical difficulties this time. Yes, Dan, last time we had to do a, a do-over, but I think it turned out well, and today we should be running smooth. Yeah, so hopefully the audio uh, sounds good out there to everyone. Theoretically, if we're doing this right, uh, the audio should sound better than it's ever sounded before here on Real Pod Wednesdays. So that's the goal that we're going with. Goal for Ohio State coming up is to beat Rutgers this week as conference play is going to begin this week. But uh, first, the Buckeyes had to finish up their non-conference schedule, and we saw them finally do what they were supposed to do against Akron. I know that's uh, what you wrote about after the game. As we saw Ohio State beat Akron 59-7. to Only so much you can take away from a game against Akron, I think, we'd be foolish to pretend like all of Ohio State's problems were solved because they beat a team that's won one FBS game in the last three years. But I do think it was an important step forward for this Buckeye team to finally go in and dominate a game the way it was supposed to, which will ideally give them some more confidence now as they get into the meat of their Big Ten schedule. Criticism had reached such a fever pitch with Ohio State fans that Zach Harrison, even at Skull Session on Saturday, even acknowledged the criticism talking to the home crowd there. He said, we hear you. We know we haven't been living up to the standard at Ohio State. Even Tony Alford said the same thing. That's why it was so important for Ohio State to do, like you said, what they were supposed to do, reach expectations really for the first time this season, even if it was against a team like Akron. They just had to do what they were supposed to do, and some of that noise was going to go away. I think we've seen that this week, that fans have kind of settled down because there really isn't much to critique from that performance. So that's why it was such a big thing for Ohio State to achieve that this week. They did that. But of course, Dan, one of the biggest points coming out of the Akron game, a new quarterback under center for Ohio State, a second different starter, not number seven, not CJ Stroud, but number six, Kyle McCord. A lot of people were excited. A lot of fans thinking, hey, if Kyle McCord goes out there and, you know, shows out, is he going to be able to, to steal the starting job from C.J. Stroud? What were your thoughts on how he played on Saturday? And is there a controversy at the quarterback position in Columbus? Well, it doesn't sound that way from hearing Ryan Day talk on Tuesday. I asked him directly. I said, if C.J. Stroud is fully healthy, will he be the starter against Rutgers on Saturday? And he said yes. So I think, at least in Ryan Day's mind, it's still clear to him that C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback on this team right now you know both times after game Saturday and then again on Tuesday you know he's critiqued Kyle McCord's performance I I think that he I think that he feels like based on what he said Tuesday that what we saw from Kyle McCord on Saturday was similar to what he has seen from Kyle McCord in practice and I think we saw some good things from Kyle McCord on Saturday it was a very rough start, very rough start. Uh, first series, he completely missed on all three of his passing attempts, one of which was actually a six-yard loss because it was a backward pass. Then I thought he settled in. I thought he played a lot better as, as the game progressed. He did end up with 319 yards and two passing touchdowns on just 18 attempts. But I think really it was honestly a very similar performance to what we saw from C.J. Stroud in the Minnesota game because if you really look at those 319 yards, okay, it's a great stat line, but 
85 yards came on a throw to a wide open Emeka Abuka where Abuka did most of the damage after the catch. 57 yards came on a screen pass to Garrett Wilson. His first two completions of a game were shovel passes. One of them was a 22-yard game for Jackson Smith and Jigba. The second one was a five-yard touchdown for Chris Olave. He did have a, a, a deep a downfield pass touchdown to Jackson Smith and Jigba for a 34-yard touchdown, but even that throw, it was underthrown. Jackson Smith and Jigba had to adjust back to it in order to make the play. So there were some good passes. You know, there were. You know, I remember there being another pass to Jackson Smith and Jigba, which was nice. There was one uh, right before the half that he, he, he connected with Garrett Wilson on, I think it was a 37-yard throw, which enabled them to kick a field goal right before halftime. So there were some good moments, but I certainly didn't come out of that game feeling like, oh, wow, Ryan Day's clearly been starting the wrong quarterback. You know, I think there are some Ohio State fans who came out of that game feeling like, I like what we saw from Kyle McCord. I want to see more from Kyle McCord. And I, I think that's valid. I think to me, truthfully, to, to come out of Saturday's game and say, based off of what we saw in that game, that we know who the best quarterback on Ohio State's roster is, I just don't think we know. I, I really don't. Like, I do think it would be interesting. Like, Obviously, I'm rooting for C.J. Stroud to be healthy because I never want anyone to be hurt. But like, if we were to see Kyle McCord play another game, I think it would be interesting to see how he progresses from that first start to that second start. I think without seeing that, it's hard for me to know whether C.J. Stroud or Kyle McCord is the guy that should be playing. But I certainly didn't come out of Saturday feeling like, they, they've got to start Kyle McCord or they've got to start Jack Miller. Like, I think both of those guys, you know, especially you figure, you know, Kyle McCord definitely looked nervous out of the gate, definitely had some issues out of the gate, but he, he was a true freshman playing for the first time ever at Ohio State. I think all in all, it was a solid showing for him. Jack Miller, we only saw him in the second half of a game. I think he only attempted eight passes, but I thought he looked solid in the action that he had. I mean, I saw some people saying, well, I mean, Jack Miller looks like he should be the starter now. Well, I, I didn't see nearly enough from Jack Miller playing less than a half of football uh, to feel like that. And so in my mind, if, if it's clear that Ryan Day believes C.J. Stroud is the best guy at quarterback right now. That's based on what he's seen in practice. And he's seen a heck of a lot more of these guys practicing all offseason than we've seen in games. And so... You know, I I think from my perspective, if if that's what Day believes, then I'm gonna believe that we haven't seen C.J. Stroud's best football yet. I think I really don't think we have because I think he's been hurt, and I think if he gets healthy, I want to see okay how much can he continue to progress, how much more consistent than he can he get. We'll see on that, but I certainly didn't come out of Saturday's game feeling like, man, they got to start Kyle McCord next week and I think especially now that you're going in to play a Big Ten opponent you're going on the road you're going to play a team that has been one of the best defensive teams in the country so far this year I think Ryan Day would feel a lot more comfortable right now playing CJ Stroud and so ultimately the question is just going to be is CJ Stroud fully healthy or close enough to fully healthy that he can be the quarterback he's capable of being 
Yeah, Dan. And in my last call piece before kickoff against Akron, I even said, is Akron going to be a team that Kyle McCord can even put up a performance impressive enough to make a statement that would even warrant him taking C.J. Stroud's spot? The, the answer of that to that appears to be no after hearing what Ryan Day said at Tuesday's press conference. Now, Dan, we talked a lot in recent podcasts about Quinn Ewers. Is Quinn Ewers being in the program a year early, is that actually something that Ryan Day really wanted or is that something that he kind of wished that he could avoid? A similar type of question here coming from Min Buck is do you think Ryan Day is secretly relieved that McCord looked like a true freshman on Saturday night because had he come out and put up 500 yards, five touchdowns, only through three incompletions or something, that could have turned into an even even bigger quarterback controversy. Do you think that Ryan Day is secretly relieved that he, people are, are not going to be as outspokenly critical about the move to put C.J. Stroud in next week, considering now fans have seen Kyle McCord and they know that he's not levels above C.J. Stroud, at least right now? I don't know if relieved is necessarily the right word. I do think maybe he feels somewhat validated that... You know, because I think you could even tell from his responses last week that he was kind of like, hey, I've I've seen these guys throw the football a lot more than you all have. There's a reason why I'm saying that C.J. Stroud is the best quarterback for this team right now. So I think he probably feels somewhat validated in that for, you know, for Kyle McCord to go up there and look like a true freshman, in my opinion. I think... He, he looked like a talented true freshman, but he looked like a true freshman. And, you know, I think, I think the thing, and I think a lot of fans realized this this past week. And I think going into that game, a lot of what I was hearing from fans was just like, the guy on the bench has got to be better than what we're seeing from C.J. Stroud. And I think more fans now, after seeing the other guys play, realize the reality is all these guys are really young. All these guys are really inexperienced. They all have steps they need to take. They all need to get better. And the reality is, Ohio State just doesn't have a finished product at quarterback right now. And I think I think we all got spoiled the last two years watching Justin Fields because Justin Fields came in and he was a stud right away. And he was a stud for two years. But the reality is, that's not usually the way this works. I mean, just look... Just look around college football right now. I mean, look at DJ Uyunglele, who I will admit that I predicted to win the Heisman Trophy before the season. He hasn't even had a 200-yard passing game yet. I mean, if you look at what Clemson fans were saying, they were calling for him to be benched because he hasn't played that well. And, I mean, just look at the NFL right now. I mean, look at all these rookie quarterbacks, guys like Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, who are so highly touted. Look at how much they're struggling and the reality is playing the quarterback position is hard. Playing the quarterback position at a level where you've never really played before is hard. And so we have to have some patience with these quarterbacks. We have to understand that just because a guy struggles in his first couple of games doesn't mean he's a bad player. It means that he's an inexperienced player who still needs to grow through game experience. And it's a completely valid question to wonder 
is C.J. Stroud going to become this championship-caliber quarterback that we need him to be as he develops? We don't know the answer to that question yet. And it's certainly fair that if if C.J. Stroud does not improve over the course of a season to question whether he's the right guy. But I, I think we just have to keep in perspective that he's only played three games. He's supposed to have growing pains. That's the way it works. And if you look through historically, I mean, guys like JT Barrett and Braxton Miller and Terrell Pryor and other quarterbacks Ohio State has had in the past who, you know, all came in and started as either true freshmen or redshirt freshmen, they all had growing pains. None of them were, none of them were the players they ultimately became right away. You know, I think the last three years, Dwayne Haskins was a completely different situation because that's a guy, he, he made his first start as a third-year player. So he had had two years to develop. He had played in actual games, obviously had uh, the big second half against Michigan. He had real game experience. He had two full years to develop. He was far more ready when he got into the lineup. And then Justin Fields, I mean, he did have a little bit of game experience at Georgia, but it's also just the fact that Justin Fields is a rare player. I mean, Justin Fields is a special, special player. And expecting just about anybody else to be Justin Fields right away, it's just such an impossibly high expectation. And so I think that's kind of what you should take away right now is that none of these guys are finished products. I think expecting any of these guys to be an elite, elite quarterback by the end of a season, it's probably not what your expectations should be right now. But I I think we've seen some good things from C.J. Stroud to where if he can continue to get better, he's going to be good enough for them to have a chance to achieve their goals this season. We've seen what was behind door number one. Some people thought it was underwhelming. I still personally think that he should get much more of a chance, like you're talking about, to be, you know, to develop and things like that. Door number two, we saw this past weekend at Akron, Kyle McCord didn't wow people more than what we've seen from CJ Stroud, I would say, generally. Door number three, however, some people, like New Timpa, for example, on our forum, are saying very little has been said about Jack Miller since Saturday night, perhaps because he played well when the game is already in hand. That said, he shored mo- he showed more mobility and more confidence out there than Stroud and McCord combined two QBs that I like equally, but for different reasons. And this is coming from New Tempo again. I think it's nothing PA. Okay. Thank you for, <laughs> thank you for uh, correcting that. Cause I was looking at it a couple of times. And I really did not know how it was supposed to be said. And that makes much more sense. Also, Could Miller be a diamond in the rough that finds huge success elsewhere? Personally, my take on this and with Jack Miller, I think and not to say that he couldn't be a fantastic quarterback, even at Ohio State, but people right now that are seeing his eight pass attempts from the Akron game and saying, Jack Miller's the best one of the bunch. He should get a chance. I think that is people just, their expectations are far too high. And they're just wanting to see what's, what's behind every door because they have talent on that quarterback list. But I personally think to, to say, hey, we haven't seen as much of a chance for from Miller as we have from McCord or Stroud, he should be the one that gets a chance. Maybe he's the best of the bunch. I just don't, I can't really get behind that because we've seen Ryan day, the way he has those guys stacked right now. I don't think it's just a matter of, Hey, Jack Miller's not getting 
the chance, and he's clearly the best one of the bunch right now. So people, people that are saying Jack Miller was the best of the bunch so far that I've seen, I think that's a bit of hyperbole personally. Well, right. I mean, there's a lot of people who want to see Quinn Ewers play now too because he's the one we haven't seen at all. And obviously he came with those huge recruiting accolades too, and it's still certainly possible that Quinn Ewers could be the best quarterback in the bunch, though Ryan Day has given no indication that uh, there's really any chance that Quinn Ewers is going to be in a mix for competing for real quarterback snaps this year. To me, in terms of Jack Miller, I mean, first of all, to answer the question, I think it's absolutely possible. I mean, I've said it from the get-go that if Jack Miller went on to go be Joe Burrow somewhere else, it wouldn't shock me. But when I look at the quarterbacks right now, I think think going back to the point I was just making about how these guys are all a work in progress, I think sometimes the way we look at these quarterbacks is backward. Because I think so much of the attention on these quarterbacks so far has been about the interceptions and the overthrows and the mistakes they've made. But when you're evaluating a young player, when you're evaluating a player who's still a work in progress, what you really should be looking for are the signs of potential. What you really should be looking for are the good plays they're making, the plays that give them the potential to be special. That's not to say that the bad plays don't matter because if you make a lot of bad plays, you're going to hurt the team. I mean, so it's not to say that those things aren't important. It's not to say that C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord don't need to cut down on those mistakes. But what I am saying is that if you're evaluating who's going to ultimately be the best quarterback of this bunch, the thing you should be looking for is not who's made the least mistakes, and the reason why Jack Miller has made the least mistakes is because he's played the least. The, the thing you should be looking for is who's showing the most potential to be a great quarterback as he continues to develop. And my honest evaluation of those three quarterbacks, and this isn't just based on what we've seen from them in games, but it's also based on what we've seen from them in the practices as we've attended and what we've seen in warm-ups, is I think at least from an arm talent perspective, Jack Miller is simply not on the same level as C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord. That's just, in my opinion, that, that, that's the thing that's very clear to me when you watch the free of them throw, is that C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord, their arms are just at a different level than Jack Miller. Out of the three, I think McCord maybe has the best pure arm talent. But I think those two, I think it's very close. I think Miller is a level below that. Now, with that being said, Nutton PA did make the point of showing more mobility. I think that probably is valid. I think Jack probably is the most mobile of these guys. None of them are Justin Fields. That's just the reality. And I think I think maybe I thought the other two were a little bit more mobile than they were going into the season. I also think, again, when we go back to C.J. Stroud, we gotta we got to reiterate the fact that he's had a bad shoulder. And I think that's part of a reason why we haven't seen him run the ball much and most likely aren't going to see him run the ball much all year because most likely, unless he rests for an extended period of time, the shoulder is going to be something that lingers for most of a year. And so I don't think we're going to ever see CJ Stroud run the ball a ton this year, but I, I just think in terms of these 
three guys, at least from my estimation based off what we've seen of everything we've been able to see from the quarterbacks this year. I, I do think the ceiling right now for both C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord is higher than it is for Jack Miller, and I think that's why those guys have played more. And, and, and I also think to the point of Jack showing more confidence out there, I'm not saying that Jack's not con- – I, I think Jack – I've talked to Jack before. I think Jack has a lot of confidence in his abilities. However, if you're just basing that off of gameplay, there's a huge difference between going in the game when the team is already up 45-7 to seven and starting the game. And so we have no idea how Jack Miller would fare in the position of being the starter and having to go win the game until we actually see him in that position. And so I think to, to take what he did in the second half when the game was clearly in hand and use that as evidence that Jack Miller has better composure than C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord, I don't think that's fair to C.J. Stroud and Kyle McCord because Jack Miller was put into a much lower pressure situation than we've seen either C.J. Stroud or Kyle McCord in this year. We were expecting to talk about the quarterbacks after the Akron game. What we were not expecting to talk about and what we were not expecting to be perhaps the biggest story of the entire weekend for Ohio State was Kayvon Pope and the incident that took place with him. Of course, by now, you will already know that he's been dismissed from the team and he's entered the transfer portal. But Dan, let's talk about what actually created this entire situation in the first place, which was Kayvon Pope. He couldn't get in the game. He didn't. He did not play defensive snaps for Ohio State against Akron. It was still the first half. He would half. have. He would have. He would have. It was still early, for sure. But in the second quarter, there was a play where he was looking to come on the field. He got waved off the field by Taraja Mitchell, and he was not having it after that, frankly. He was frustrated. He was fed up. A lot of people thought he might be a starter for Ohio State, at least in the conversation, definitely in the rotation. Talking about going back to the spring, that was a name that was – Talk, being talked about with along with Dallas Gant and Traja Mitchell as those three senior guys that might be stepping into starting roles this year. The first game against Minnesota, Kayvon Pope did not play any defensive snaps. I think he played seven in the following game and 24 against Tulsa, I believe, is, is how the, the split went there. Clearly frustrated with the lack of, lack of playing time in his senior year after waiting several years behind other guys. And he, he, he just blew up on the sideline on Saturday. He, he tried to go back to the locker room We think it was C.J. Barnett that corralled him, brought him back to the sideline. But after that, at this point, I'm actually watching now what he's doing from the press box. I saw Kayvon Pope. He took off his helmet. He threw his gloves into the crowd. He went up to Al Washington, seemed to get into a heated back-and-forth exchange. Guys like Cam Babb, team captain, had to calm him down, try to get him to stay on the sideline. He did not stay on the sideline very long. He, He ended up going back to the locker room. And shortly thereafter, Dan, he let off some tweets. I don't know if you want to get more into that. Yeah, we won't save a word that was used in the second tweet because otherwise we'd have to put an explicit content warning on our podcast. But yes, he uh, tweeted two tweets from the locker room at halftime and the second one, which used a word that starts with F, I think sealed his fate with the Ohio State football program. Not that uh, I, I think there was likely to be any coming back from the sideline blow up to begin with, but 
to then go on Twitter and say F Ohio State, that I think that pretty much sealed the deal. You know, I you know, we still don't know all the details regarding okay, was he really dismissed or did he just quit the team? You know, I I think he was whether he was dismissed or not, an entry into the transfer portal was likely imminent. You know, I did reach out to Kayvon, you know, to see if he wanted to talk about it at all. He did not get back to me. Uh, certainly, you know, did want to give him the opportunity to tell his side of the story if that's something he uh, would like to do. But certainly, I don't think Ryan Day had any choice, even if he wanted to be back on the team, but to dismiss Kayvon Pope after that situation because of the fact that, you know, there's already been some rumblings out there about okay, is, you know, is is this, is the culture and the program being tested a little bit this year? And I don't put too much stock into a lot of that because I think, I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't know how much uh, fire there really is behind that smoke of, you know, things behind the scenes not being as good this year. But I think certainly just given the fact that it has been a bumpier start to the season – that Ryan Day had to make it clear, this is not acceptable. This will not be tolerated within the program. And so I think he had no choice but to make the move that he made. We should say that Kayvon Pope did issue an apology for his actions. He said he would take some time to deal with his mental well-being and things of that nature. So we should give him credit for that. But Kayvon Pope is not the first senior linebacker for Ohio State to actually now no longer be with the program in the last week because, of course, Dallas Gant entered the transfer portal last week as well. Ryan Day talked about it that more extensively right after the game, given the Kayvon Pope situation, and he kind of said he didn't really like, he wasn't too pleased with that decision, frankly, because he felt like a guy is committed to the program. If you're if you're starting the season with a program, basically that you should see see through the year. But, of course, guys can leave to preserve that extra year of eligibility and that he understands that that's the prerogative for some guys. Where does this leave the depth with the Ohio State linebackers now? Because they've still got names in that group, and I think one of the, one silver lining for Al Washington and the Ohio State linebackers coming out of the past couple games, even though now you're without Dallas Gann and Kayvon Pope, guys that are veterans, even if they haven't logged a bunch of snaps, is that a guy like Steel Chambers now has suddenly kind of emerged as a guy that's making some plays out there. He, he led the team in tackles, for linebackers the other day. And that's now seems like a name that's going to probably see quite a bit more playing time. And you also have another guy in Pallier, Nayoteote, who now with a couple of those other guys that might've been ahead of him out of the way, we might be seeing a considerable more amount of him on the field for high state as well. Yeah. Well, I think first of all, to, to keep it in perspective, Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope were both guys who were, were backups that were likely to remain backups on this team. And, you know, that's not just revisionist history. I mean, that's, that's the reality. That's why they're both gone from the program, because these are guys who waited their turn for three years, and I think they felt like they should be starting now, and they're not. And so, you know, that's what led to both of their departures, albeit in very different manners. I think if you, you know, clearly Ryan Day was not thrilled 
with Dallas Gantt's decision, I don't think either of us are going to be the guy to criticize Dallas Gantt for doing what's best for him for, for his career. I think he's a guy who looked at it and said, you know, I've, I've waited my turn. I've given everything I have to this program to not play much for more than three years now. And so I think he looked at it and said, I, I'm going to leave before I play four games. I'm going to preserve my red shirt. And then I have two years of eligibility to go play somewhere else. I think that's his prerogative, his decision. I understand where Ryan Day is coming from because people who are regular listeners to this podcast will remember the interview I did with Ryan Day before the season. And one of the things that I talked to him about was about roster management and about limiting transfers. And, you know, one of the things he said, I think it was specifically when we were talking about quarterbacks, was, you know, he knows come January there's going to be guys that he sits down with and guys come to him and say, I think it's best for me to go play somewhere else. And he understands that's part of a process and he respects that. But for one thing he did say at that time is he's, he was asking all the players to commit to us for the season. To if, you, if you're going to be here this season, commit to us for the season. And so I think, you know, I think he's disappointed by the fact that Dallas Gantt did not honor that commitment because he is, you know, he talked about it again on Tuesday. He's a guy, he doesn't, he doesn't run off players. You know, he doesn't push players out of a program, but he expects that to be a two-way street. He expects players who are committed to the team to, to remain committed for the entire season. And so, you know, certainly I don't think he's, he's certainly not happy about the way things ended with Kayvon Pope. I don't think he's happy of how either of them ended. At the same time, this is the reality of college football these days is the transfer portal is just something you have to deal with. This is not going to be the last time we, we see this happen at Ohio state. And I also think before I get back to actually answering your question, Griffin, personally, I do not look at this and go, I know there's people who see the fact that multiple guys just left the team and they think, culture problem, like huge problem behind the scenes. I don't look at it that way. I really don't. I really think this is just the way college football is going to be nowadays. I mean, we've seen this in recent years too. We saw it with Isaiah Pryor. He was another guy who did this a couple years ago where he decided to leave the team uh, before he hit that four-game mark. We're going to see it again. It's, it's just part of where we are now in college football, and it's just one of those things that you have to manage. That said, it certainly hurts when you lose two guys from the same position room that you are expecting to have in that position room all year. So from a depth standpoint at linebacker, it, it absolutely makes an impact because now, right now they only have seven scholarship linebackers, and one of them, Mitchell Melton, has been unavailable all year and I, I think most likely isn't going to be able to play this year. If he does, it probably won't be until later in the year. And so they they're definitely they definitely do have some depth question marks at linebacker. I don't view it as a major, major concern though. And I think, you know, I think the good news is Steel Chambers and Palia Naiteote, as you said, are playing linebackers now. Playing linebacker for Ohio State now. If Palia Naiteote wasn't eligible and Steel Chambers had stayed at running back, then yeah, they'd be in 
a really bad spot at linebacker. That said, Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope might still be on the team if they didn't have Steel Chambers and Pali and Nateote. It's, it's, it's always a two-way street with these things because, you know, I, I remember talking about it with Colin in, in the offseason when we were talking about would they bring in a transfer linebacker. First, they were looking at Henry Totoo, and then next they ended up bringing in Pali and Nateote. And we kind of knew at the time, like, if you, if you go and you bring in another linebacker after Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope have been waiting all this time, there's probably going to be some hurt feelings about that because those are guys who waited their turn for three years, and now you're bringing in a guy to potentially start over them. And obviously we see how things unfolded there. You know, with Kayvon, with Kayvon Pope, I mean, what I do know about that situation is this was something that had been festering for a while. It wasn't like he just suddenly got frustrated at one moment and he had never expressed frustration before. It, this was definitely something that had been simmering in terms of him being unhappy about his playing time. And it just reached a boiling point there in a way that it never should have. But this was something that had been festering for a while. You know, I think, you know, this is a guy whose position was basically taken away from the defense this year because he had been a Sam linebacker and they replaced the Sam linebacker with a bullet. And based on the way Ronnie Hickman's played, I think that was clearly the right decision because I think Ronnie Hickman has been maybe the best player on the defense this year. He's the only guy who's been a champion after every win. And so I think that move has been a good move for Ohio State. But I think the reality was when you have these linebackers who have been waiting their turn and you drop from three linebackers to two and you bring in other guys who weren't on the roster at linebacker a few months ago to to come in and take snaps away from them. These are the things that can ultimately happen. And so I'm not, I'm not stunned that things ended up with, with guys leaving the team because you know, I just think they were probably bound to be some hurt feelings there. But with that being said, I also think we can understand why Ohio State made those moves. Because I think the reality is, you know, I think back to the last couple of years and there was so much chatter from a fan base. It's kind of like we were talking about for quarterbacks earlier of why aren't Taraja Mitchell and Dallas Gant and Kayvon Pope playing? And I think for the first four games or three games for Dallas Gantt and Kayvon Pope, I think we've kind of seen why they weren't playing. And, you know, I, I feel bad saying that. But, you know, I think Taraja Mitchell, like you probably agree, but like, I think he's been okay. Like, I think he's been fine. But I don't think we've seen Taraja Mitchell flash the way that I thought he would. I thought Dallas Gantt in the season opener at Minnesota – I didn't think he was great, and clearly the coaches didn't either because his playing time dropped off. The Kayvon Pope situation was that one was always kind of weird. You, you always kind of got a weird vibe around that one this offseason because I actually thought he played pretty good in, in the games that we saw him play, but it was clear they just didn't quite have a role for him, and he obviously wasn't happy uh, with just being a rotational guy. And so, you know, I think you look at it now and it's like, 
I mean, I know, I know I've seen it from some people this week. Like Steel Chambers, he might be their best linebacker right now. I think if he keeps improving the way we've seen him improve so far, he's got a chance to be a really good linebacker. That's for reason why they they moved him over there. I think Cody Simons played well. You know, Tommy Eichenberg has certainly had his ups and downs, but he's clearly a guy that they want in there. And so I think that's kind of your core four right now at that linebacker position. I still have to believe that they're going to want Palaye Nateote's role to increase as the season progresses. I think he's still got to earn those snaps. I think he's still got to get more comfortable and, and prove that he belongs in the field more. Because I think the snaps we've seen him play, we haven't really seen him do a ton yet. I think he did have one third down stop against Tulsa, but other than that, we haven't really seen a ton from him yet. So I don't know that I can look at it and say, well, Palier clearly should be playing more. But, you know, I think they've got their core guys to where I think they feel okay about the numbers they have at linebacker. Certainly, though, if you have any more injuries there, you could end up in a precarious spot. Dan, we know the names now of two players that will not be contributing for the Ohio State defense anymore. Obviously, Dallas Gann, Kayvon Pope. However, we do now have to give the Ohio State defense some flowers. It was Akron. It was Akron. But we have to give the Ohio State defense some flowers because they did improve in certain areas that we had been harping on them that they had to improve. That was, it was surprising to see the lack of pass rush, for example. That came alive in a major way. Ohio State only gave up seven points to Akron. In fact, they went down 7 nothing and closed the game out with a 59 to nothing run. Akron could not run the ball against Ohio State. They averaged less than two yards per carry in that department. DJ Irons, a quarterback, was running for his life. Nine sacks for Ohio State. But one question, Dan, coming to us from Diamatize, at least I think that's what it is, is do you guys think that the game against Akron helped to define the pecking order of the defensive players, or are we going to continue to see a bunch of different lineups? It's hard to say, because I know Ryan Day in Tuesday's press conference and Matt Barnes, to a degree, were talking about wanting to solidify guys in certain roles, because I don't think Ryan Day loved the crazy defensive rotations that we saw in the first couple of games when Kerry Combs was still calling the defense. However, if you think about the amount of defensive standouts for Ohio State or major defensive contributors for Ohio State that were actually unavailable against Akron, I do think we're actually going to continue to see different lineups because those guys are going to have to come back in unless their injuries are serious. So you have, you've got a guy like Tyleek Williams who's really flashed the last couple of games for Ohio State, but you've got a guy like Teron Vincent coming back who was unavailable last game, and he's a guy that's been starting games for Ohio State. You've got a guy like Tyreek Smith that didn't play last game. He's a regular starter for Ohio State, a senior, so... Are we really going to see, do I really think that the pecking order from the Akron game has been firmly established going forward? I really don't necessarily think so in terms of a lot of those defensive line guys. No, I don't think so. I think everything's still a work in progress there, and I think we're going to continue to see a lot of rotation. I will say to the specific point of Tyleek Williams, I am very confident we're going to see plenty more Tyleek Williams. I think, I think the way he's played in the last two games, he has ensured himself that he's going to continue to have a really big role in that defensive tackle rotation for the rest of the year. But I do think things are still being settled at several positions. You know, Linebacker, the reality is they have two less guys to rotate now. So that linebacker rotation is going to shrink a little bit just based on the fact that Dallas Gantt and Kayvon Pope are no longer there. But you look at like the secondary, for example, they just moved Leif and Ransom to free safety. I think they're still, I think he's still growing into that position because he wasn't playing it to start the year. And so I think there's still things to be settled there. Like 
okay, will Bryson Shaw continue to start at free safety or will Leif and Ransom get to the point where he's going to take over there? You know, I think that's something they're still working through. I mean, I think there's still questions at cornerback. Okay, Cam Brown, is he going to be able to stay on the field? Because we've seen him miss two games. And can Seven Banks ever get back into that starting lineup firmly or when Cam Brown comes back or is he going to go back down to be him a number three guy? I mean, Defensive line, Larry Johnson's always employed a deep, deep rotation there anyway, so I think that's going to continue to be the case regardless. And I don't think he has any problem with playing a lot of guys there. So, yeah, I think we're still going to see uh, plenty of uh, things continue to be worked out here. There's probably a little bit more clarity coming out of the Akron game than there was before, but... I think that's kind of a way it's going to be. With with each passing game, there's going to be a few things that become clearer, but I still don't think they're necessarily at the point where it's like, these are our best 11, we know who our best 11 are. I think that's still a process that they're kind of working through right now. And Dan, let's talk more a little bit more about the pass rush because that was such a huge theme against Akron. Larry Johnson had said he could not sleep well when Ohio State could not get pressure. Against Akron, a team that gave up, I think, six sacks to Auburn in week one, I thought and predicted that Ohio, the Ohio State pass rush was going to come alive in that game, and they actually exceeded my expectations because they had nine sacks. However, an interesting thing here, and something that I actually might want to write about because we got some interesting kind of tidbits from Haskell Garrett today about it, most of the pass rushing production in terms of actual sacks are coming from the defensive tackles right now, coming from the interior. Eight of the nine sacks against Akron came from those tackles, the one that came from a defensive end was Jack Sawyer's first career sack. Other than that, the only sack that a defensive end has had for Ohio State this year, I believe, is the week one strip sack by Zach Harrison. So that's only two sacks in the season for Ohio State's defensive ends, which have a lot of five-star cachet to only have two sacks through four games here for Ohio State. And it's not even something that's particularly new. Obviously, the Chase Young year was a little bit of an anomaly, as, as a matter of fact, in the last few years, because if you look at a guy like Draymond Jones, had a ton of sacks as a defensive tackle for Ohio State. Devon Hamilton was the second-best pass, pass rusher in that 2019 season from the tackle position. Last year, Togi and Haskell Garrett had a lot of sacks. And then, obviously, against Akron, Haskell Garrett had three himself. Tyleek Williams had two. What do you kind of attribute that to? And did the defensive ends for Ohio State have to step up more and start to get home on some of these sacks? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot to be encouraged about with the defensive tackles rushing the passer from inside, as we saw on Saturday. I think, you know, Haskell Garrett, we saw him really step up and show that ability to take over games, but I think we've been expecting to see from him. I mean, like I said, I mean, Tyleek Williams has looked fantastic the last couple weeks, and so I think even when Teron Vincent's back, I think Tyleek Williams is going to continue to play a major role because I think he's been excellent. You know, I think Antoine Jackson, those last couple games, as you know, they've really kind of settled more into keeping Haskell at free tech and playing Antoine more at nose tackle. I think he's looked good. I think Ty Hamilton's looked good. Jerron Cage is now you know, healthy and back in there. So I, I, I think there's a lot to like about what we're seeing from that defensive tackle group right now, which, you know, honestly, it's honestly a little bit backwards maybe from what I would have expected because I think, you know, I thought like losing a Tommy Togiai there inside, that might be the bigger question mark. And I think so far they've been the strength of that defensive line. I think absolutely for the defensive ends, 
we should expect more from them. Two two sacks for four games because you look at the talent they have there. I mean, three five star guys and Zach Harrison, JT Tuimoloau, and Jack Sawyer. Another very high four star in Tyreek Smith. You know, Javante Jean Baptiste is another experienced guy. You should be expecting a lot of pass rush production from that group, and so far we're not seeing it. Injuries have played a part in that because Zach Harrison missed a game. Now Tyreek Smith and Javante Jean Baptiste have missed a game, and so uh, that plays a part in it. But I do think they do still need guys to step up there because I think the other question is. Yeah, the interior pass rush was great against Akron, but they were going against a very small offensive line against Akron. Are they going to be able to continue to rush the passer that well against Big Ten offensive lines? We'll see. We'll see. I mean, I think I, I think some of it will be translatable. I think some of it probably won't be. And so I, I do think they absolutely still need more out of that defensive end group in terms of a pass rush. And... It's also got to be a situation now where, you know, you hope you get it from Zach Harrison, who you've been waiting to see that real consistent production from. You hope, you know, if Tyreek Smith and Javante Jean-Baptiste get back healthy, that you see it from them. But if one of these younger guys really breaks through and and starts giving them consistent pass brush production, then those guys need to be on the field a lot. You, you At this point... I think those those veterans, they've either got to really start producing or you have to consider whether they're really the guys who should be on the field the most because you're talking about you know third- and fourth-year guys who, quite frankly, they just haven't gotten the kind of production out of yet that they should be. Yeah, we know who some of those freshman stars are for Ohio State right now on defense. Talk about Tyleek Williams, of course, Denzel Burke, JTT, Jack Sawyer, we, we just talked about, got his first sack. But what about some of the guys that we hadn't seen coming into this one that actually got to have their first career snaps for Ohio State? The Reed Caracos of the world, some of those freshman DBs, Ja'Kalen Johnson, for example. Evan Pryor got his first handoffs. He scored his first career touchdown. Ryan Day had a lot of really nice things to say about Evan Pryor on Tuesday. Did anyone stand out to you from that group of players that hadn't, at those freshmen, that hadn't actually gotten any time coming into this one, and it might be the last time we even see them all year because, of course, Ohio State's about to take the plunge back into a higher level of competition. Well, he had gotten a little bit of time, but I think to me the guy who certainly jumps out is Emeka Buka because he had only played sparingly in the first three games, hadn't had any catches, and then we saw him take his first career catch for an 85-yard gain. So I think that's a guy right there you look at and go, okay, maybe they need to start getting him some more snaps. Because we've seen he's looked pretty good returning kicks. That was a great play. Uh, I think that's probably the guy that stood out to me of a freshman who we hadn't seen play much yet that really caught my eye. How about you? I'll be honest, Dan. I was trying to make my way down onto the field during that portion of the game. And right before I was making my way onto the field, I was doing quite a bit of writing. So I didn't get to really intensely study the end of that game from that perspective, I will say I did get to see Evan Pryor's touchdown up close and personal live, which was nice to see. It would be easy for Evan Pryor because he came in comparisons to Travion Henderson. They were a pair, a duo, roommates, a lot of talk about those two guys. And you've seen Travion Henderson really show that he's ready to produce on a major level right away in the program. 
Evan Pryor, it's going to be a more of a slow development for him. And I think it would be easy for him to get caught up in that in comparing himself to Trayvon Henderson. But Ryan Day said on Tuesday that Pryor's done a good job of actually not comparing himself to other guys and just kind of taking things as they come. I definitely don't think that'll, that'll be the last touchdown we see by Evan Pryor. It was good to see him get some love, though, just because he was a guy that was talked about a lot coming into this recruiting class. Let's talk a little bit about Rutgers because this is not Chris Ash's Rutgers this year. Greg, Greg Schiano has done an excellent job of, of building Rutgers back into a, a respectable football program in a quick period of time. And Ohio State only opened as a 17-point favorite for his game. The last I saw, that line had actually dropped to 15 points. Ohio State is has won every single game it's played against Rutgers by at least 22 points. So that 22-point game was last year. So typically, playing Rutgers has supposed to be an easy win for Ohio State. I still think that's probably how a lot of fans are going to look at it, which means if this game ends up being competitive, I think we could be right back where we were a week ago uh, with a lot of fans being panicked about Ohio State not dominating this game. But I think Ohio State needs to be prepared for a real competitive game on Saturday because we saw Michigan has looked really good this year. Rutgers came within a touchdown of Michigan and won its first three games of the year. I still don't know exactly how good Rutgers is yet because their first three games were against Temple, Syracuse, and Delaware. So we haven't seen them win a conference game yet this year. So we'll see ultimately how good they are. But I do think it's clear that this Rutgers team is better than what we're accustomed to from Rutgers. I think it's most likely the best Rutgers team that Ohio State has played since it started playing Rutgers in 2014. And if you look specifically on the defensive side of the ball, this is a team that currently ranks in the top 11 nationally in both scoring defense and total defense. So this is a team that's playing good football so far this year, especially on that defensive side of the ball. And so Ohio State can't look at this as just, oh, the, the cakewalk against Rutgers. This, this going on the road to play, to play Rutgers on Saturday definitely has the potential to be an actual competitive game for Ohio State. I believe Rutgers has the number one pass defense in the Big Ten. I want to say the number two total defense in the Big Ten, maybe behind only Iowa or possibly Wisconsin in that mix as well. But just some really incredible numbers for that Rutgers defense. And you look at those first three opponents, like you said, and you could say that the, the stats are skewed heavily towards those games. But I, but look at the Michigan game. The same type of thing. Michigan came into that game one of the top rushing offenses in the country, running the ball all over the, the teams that they had played so far. They were not able to, to run the ball against Rutgers in the second half of that game for the most part. Rutgers came back and gave Michigan everything they could handle in the second half of that game. And it's really been built on that defense. And then offensively, though, for Rutgers, and this is why I think, even though I think Rutgers is going to give Ohio State a tough matchup, I think the fact that the Rutgers offense has shown to be pretty limited against the three power five teams that it's played, or the the two power, power five teams that it's played, actually bodes well for Ohio State, because obviously we've talked about the defensive deficiencies of Ohio State, a team with a potentially high-flying offense could possibly do some big damage to Ohio State because we've seen teams gash that Ohio State defense. 
But Rutgers has not put up great numbers offensively against Michigan and Syracuse and has not scored a lot of points in those games. We know they're capable of scoring points because they put up 60-plus on Temple and 45 against Delaware. Delaware, yes. But against a higher level of competition, they have not been able to do so. I think Rutgers will score some points on Ohio State, but I think just the fact that they aren't some dynamo offensively definitely plays in Ohio State's hands. Yeah, I think if you're Ohio State right now, you feel a lot better playing against a team that has a great defense and a bad offense than you would about playing a team with a great offense and a bad defense. Because with all the talent Ohio State has on offense, it really should be able to score on anybody. It's definitely not in a position right now where it can stop everybody. So, you know, I think even like if you look at next week's matchup against Maryland, I think that might be a scarier matchup than this one just because I think Maryland's a team, they don't have a great defense, but they do have a dangerous offense. And so I, I do think in that sense, you know, that, that's the preferable matchup for Ohio State. Now, that being said, the defense is still going to play well because I think this is a Rutgers team that's going to make some stops. This isn't a team that you're just going to be able to just roll all over on every possession. And so the defense obviously has to make enough stops to allow the offense to score enough points to win the game. But, you know, I do think certainly as good as Rutgers has been on defense, Ohio State's offense is much more dynamic than any offense they've played. I mean, Michigan's been good running the ball, but they really haven't had much semblance of a passing game. So obviously there's still the major question mark about the quarterback situation and C.J. Stroud's health for Ohio State. But you would think with all the talent Ohio State has on offense, you know, Rutgers isn't going to be able to completely shut them down. Ohio State's going to be able to put up some points. So I think my score prediction for this game right now, I'm looking at something like 38-21. Like I, I don't think Ohio State's going to put up a massive number on offense because I do think Rutgers' defense is legit. And I do think Rutgers is probably going to score a few times because we know Ohio State's defense has its flaws. But I have enough optimism in the progress we've seen from Ohio State's defense that I, I think Ohio State will be able to make the stops it needs, especially against a an offense that's been subpar for Ohio State to ultimately be able to win this game by at least two or three scores. Dan, what type of bizarro world are we living in here where, let me take you back a couple weeks ago, just a few short weeks ago, Ohio State was favored by 14 against Oregon. We saw how that game went. And now, Ohio State, you're telling me that Ohio State is only favored by 17 to beat Rutgers this week. That comparison is just very strange, you have to admit. And especially just the the fact that Rutgers in general and the general consensus. I think people, at least, I, I haven't really gotten any of our score predictions from our staff yet as we record this. But I think our staff was more confident in Ohio State covering against Oregon than they probably are right now about Ohio State covering against Rutgers. And I actually don't like Ohio State to cover against Rutgers. They definitely could. I would not be surprised if it was a bigger blowout than this. But I'm going to say 34-20, something like that seems right. I think it's going to be a grittier game for Ohio State against a really good defensive team. I don't think Ohio State's going to score as many points as you're used to seeing them score against Rutgers. I like, I like Ohio State by two touchdowns. I think that, that score sounds very reasonable to me, 34-20. 
Shep1364 asked us a couple Rutgers questions. He asked us about our favorite Greg Schiano memory slash interaction you have of him around the Woody. And I think for that, the thing that just pops to mind is, I don't know if it's necessarily a favorite, it's just something that I remember, is he was the one guy who refused to sit down for an interview. So it, the setup's changed a little bit now, but back when Greg Schiano was here before COVID was a thing, when we had post-practice interviews, the standard was a guy would just sit at a table and people would kind of crowd around the table. But with Greg, it was always he, – he would not sit at a table. He always, he always had to stand up. And so you, you know, a lot of times you'd like it if there's a table because you could put your recorder down at, at the table even if you're going to talk to somebody else. But with him, you, you had to stand there because he just refused to sit down. I might have been around for like one or two of those scrums like at the very end of that season. But that was actually – the year before I started actually covering the team. So I can't sit here and act like I've had some interactions with, with Greg Schiano like that. But what I will pose as the next question from uh, Shep1364 here is what restaurant slash experience are you looking forward to in Piscataway? We went in 2019 when I was working for the Lantern, the, the student newspaper for Ohio State. The only real experience or story I could, I could speak to is the fact that, of course, in New Jersey, you cannot pump your own gas, which is not exactly a custom that most people going to Ohio State, although there are a lot of people from New Jersey and things of that nature that come to Ohio State. But when we went on this trip, we rented a van. Brian Nelson, one of our video guys, was driving the car, trying to fill up the tank with gas either before or after the game, probably before. And he just was very dumbfounded at the fact that he was supposed to hand over his his card and allow someone to pump gas, and it, it actually boil into like an actual argument like and the guy basically told us to to get out of there like we got ran out of the (laughs) the lot and that was the the, really the only memorable experience i've had in piscataway and i'll have to remember to never make that mistake when going there on repeated trips yeah he did ask us what we're looking forward to i know that there has been some talk i don't think plans have been finalized at this point but we're getting in very early on Friday, and so there has been some talk about us potentially making a trip to Philadelphia because that's only about an hour, 20 minutes or so from Piscataway. And so I'd have to say the possibility that we might be going to Philly, where I've never been in my life, the number one thing that I am looking forward to right now is the possibility of having my first authentic Philly cheesesteak. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure if I'm going to be on that trip or not. You're know, welcome to be a part of it. It's it's up to you. We shall see. We'll we, we'll see how how the long hours of that Friday end up uh, making us feel by the end of that day. But Dan, let's get into some miscellaneous questions here. Now that we've kind of wrapped up our Rutgers talk, we've got questions from the forum posters on a varying array of topics here. One of them from Kay Sterling is. Is this year going to be more about getting young guys with higher ceilings, meaningful snaps to improve their development than about reaching the playoffs? I feel like the insane amount of substitutions on defense means that these that they haven't settled on their best players and are taking chances with younger guys with more potential. Thoughts, Dan? Well, I think the year is always about trying to achieve your goals. So I think, without a doubt, right now, this year, for Ohio State, it's still about trying to win the Big Ten, trying to make the playoff, and trying to compete for a national championship. Whether any of those things will happen, we'll see. But I think right now, the fact that all of those goals remain on the table, 
that's absolutely what this year is still about. Now, with that being said, I think you can look at what we're seeing from some of these freshmen and second-year players right now, and I think you can absolutely look at it and go, this team is probably going to be better in 2022 and 2023 than it is right now. And I think just based on what we're seeing from these young players and based on the fact that because we know these quarterbacks are all young, that Ohio State should really should have better quarterback play next year than it does this year. I do think you can absolutely feel like uh, feel optimistic of, okay, even if this year doesn't go the way we hoped it would, there's a lot of reason to feel optimistic that, that next year this team is going to be better. So I think it's absolutely possible that you know this year's team doesn't end up being one that can seriously contend for a national championship and that next year Ohio State could get back to that point. Right now, though, it's still about trying to make the playoff, trying to beat for national championship. If Ohio State loses another game, then I think we get into that conversation of, okay, what can Ohio State still accomplish this year to, you know, make it a productive year and set itself up for better things in the future. But I think for right now, the number one goal, without a doubt, remains trying to make the playoff and win a national championship. And you are going to play the players that give you the best chance to do that. You're not... I think they absolutely should be playing a lot of young players right now because I think it's several positions. Their young players are better than their older players. But you're not doing that just because of what it might give you in 2022 or 2023. You're doing that because it gives you the best chance to win right now. Yeah, I was just going to say, there seems to be an insinuation with this question that Ohio State is like punting on the season or something by playing these young players instead of some of the veterans. Now, I don't think that's the case at all. I think they're playing the young players because they see what they're doing on the field and think that they could give them the best chance to win. And then they're probably a little bit underwhelmed by the performances of some of the veteran guys that they thought that they would be getting more out of. And that, like you said, playing those guys is going to give them the best chance to win. But Dan, next question here from Bring the Juice wants us to disregard our professional biases and be as Bring the Juice says, a 100% fan for a few minutes, and asks, are you, as of today, tempering your expectations for the Buckeyes 2021 team, or is it all still within reach? And I will say, I don't have to take any professional biases off or be a fan or anything to just deliver my honest assessment on that question, which is, like my dad just texted me, for example, and said something about doing having a dinner in December or something like that, or but the, the Big Ten Championship might be the day before. I honestly said... Who knows if Ohio State gets to the Big Ten Championship this year? It's just not the foregone conclusion that it was in other years. And I believe that that answers the question. My, my expectations are a bit tempered, and that's just that's how I feel. Even today, after the press conference, there was some talk about media stuff after the Big Ten Championship game. And I was just kind of thinking, like, there's no guarantee Ohio State will be in that game. So I think that answers the question right there for me. Yeah, absolutely. I remember we were having another conversation about it like a week ago. And it's good because... It's become such a foregone conclusion if they're going to get there every year. But you just feel like it's like an annual thing. Like you're for sure going to go to Indianapolis for the Big Ten Championship that year. And I remember we were kind of mid-conversation. And I'm like, oh, wait. Like maybe we should wait and see what happens because 
this team is is far from guaranteed from playing in a Big Ten championship game right now. So uh, I totally agree with you there. I mean, I totally agree with you there. Just from uh, a professional standpoint, like there's a lot more doubt in my mind right now. Like the last, you know, last year was so weird. But like two years ago, for example, like I was very confident all year. Like this is an Ohio State team that's gonna go to the Big Ten Championship, they're going to go to the college ball playoff. There's a lot more doubt in my mind right now about are we going to be covering a Big Ten Championship run and a playoff run, or are we going to be covering the Citrus Bowl? <laughs> There's a lot more doubt in my mind. So I, I think from that standpoint, you know, I, I think I definitely am tempering my expectations for this, this Buckeye team's 2021 season. The, the way the question was asked, like that's so much easier said than done because it's not like I have an on-off switch where I can turn that switch off and immediately go from being objective journalist from to diehard fan because it's it's more one of those things where over time becoming a journalist, you know, even as somebody who went to Ohio State, over time as you become ingrained in being a journalist, it's just something that becomes ingrained in you. So. Even for other sports, for me, like it's it's hard for me to ever shut off that part of my brain and just be a pure fan, which makes it hard for me to look at it from that perspective. I feel like if I was looking that, at it from that perspective, I feel like from a fan's perspective, I tend to be more of an optimist than a pessimist. And so I feel like I would look at it more like I'm not tempering my expectations yet because everything's still on the table. And, you know, I, I think when I, you know, when I have been a fan, I've viewed it more from that optimistic lens of like, hey, they can get better. They still have a chance. I'm going to keep believing in them. But I think, like Griffin said, from our uh, professional standpoint, I absolutely look at it with a lot more uncertainty about, okay, are we going to be able to cover a compelling run to the national championship this year or are, are we going to have to maybe find ways to make the season a little bit more interesting if they lose another game or two and their main goals fall off the table the next couple questions here dan are pretty specific to you in particular and i think stem from your recent appearance on the buckeye talk podcast you are going to be able to speak on these things much more than me because obviously the questions are directed towards you silver sniper writes Dan, great job on the Buckeye Talk podcast. It was cool to hear you get all those kudos and recognition for being a top sports writer covering Ohio State. What is something unique to the Ohio State beat that you're not going to find elsewhere? Well, first of all, thank you for the kind words, Silver Sniper. I do appreciate those. To answer your question, and I think this came up on the Buckeye Talk pod, I think it was Dave Biddle that he mentioned about how this beat might be the largest sports beat in the country. You know, I haven't done the math to compare. Like, I know the Dallas Cowboys beat is really big. So I don't know that it's necessarily the largest. I think in college sports, it probably is the largest. It's definitely up there across all sports as one of the largest beats in sports. And so I think that's the thing that stands out to me in terms of answering that question is that it's just such a massive beat that, you know, I think when I covered Clemson, like, it was still competitive. There were still probably, I don't know, five or six outlets that 
that covered Clemson extensively on a regular basis. So it, it was still competitive. There was still a sizable media presence. But Ohio State's just at a different level. And, you know, I think Doug did the math about how there's like 15 different outlets or something that, that cover Ohio State on a regular basis. And you're just probably not going to find that at any other college sports team in the country. So I think that's the thing that makes this beat unique is just how large it is. And I think for you all as Ohio State fans, I think that's a great thing because I think you guys have – so many different options. You know, I think, you know, if you, you know, I think in contrast to last week's opponent, for example, Akron, Akron literally has one beat writer. And the guy who is their beat writer, he's not even a full time Akron guy. Like he also does Cleveland sports and I think he even writes about movies. And so there's a reason for that. And the reason is because most people who go to Akron University are Ohio State football fans, not Akron football fans. But it's just very different. You know, like if you're covering, if you're a beat writer for a local newspaper covering a small team, you could be the only person on the beat. And like that has its pros and cons. Like the pro is like, you don't have as much competition. You can really own that beat and you're probably going to have a lot uh, closer relationships with the coaching staff and players because you are the guy they're going to when they want to get a story out. Whereas here it's much more competitive you have to do a lot more to stand out and you're not necessarily going to have the closest relationships with everybody uh, in the program because there's just so many media that they tend to be more guarded, but it's also cool to be part of such a, a big thing. And I do feel like we all kind of have our own niches as media outlets. You know, it, it's up to you all as fans to decide, okay, do I like 11 Warriors better or Letterman Row better or Bucknuts or Cleveland.com or the Dispatch or Buckeye Scoop or whatever outlet it is. There's, you have so many different options, and I do feel like we all do things a little bit differently. Like I, I think there's things that we at 11 Warriors do better than anybody else. I think there's probably things that some of those outlets do better than we do. I, I think we all have different strengths. We all fit a little bit different of a niche. But the cool thing for you all as fans is you have so many options to where, you know, I, it's it's great to know. I'm very appreciative to know, like, how many people read my work and, and appreciate my work. And so that's awesome. And I really appreciate all of you out there who listen to this podcast and who read my work. I, I, I truly do. But I also respect the fact that you all have options as to uh, whose work you're going to read, whose podcast you're going to listen to. And so... I try to make sure that my work is consistently good so that you guys want to read my work. You guys want to listen to our podcast. I, I know because there's so much competition on this beat that I have to consistently hold myself to that really high standard if you guys are going to read my work. Because if I don't, if my work doesn't meet that high standard, you guys are going to go somewhere else. Yeah, and I think that kind of answers part of this next question we have here as well. I will say also, when I first started coming around the beat and, th- and things like that, I also was hearing the the claim that Dan Hope was the hardest working man on the beat. I think that is an exact quote I actually have, have heard within like weeks of getting on the beat. So Shep1364 asks, 
It has been stated you are the hardest worker on the beat. Dan, what do you do to relax? And I know you're not going to say write about movies like the Akron Beat Reporter because, <laughs> admittedly, you do not watch many. Yeah, you're asking me relax? You think I relax? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not watch movies. I, I, I actually recently updated my Twitter bio uh, to acknowledge the fact that I have seen very few movies. So that is not something that I do very often because I spend most of my time working. Uh, I would say my favorite thing to do to relax is play golf. Unfortunately, during the football season, it's hard to do that. I actually played on Friday. That was the first time I had played in about a month. Uh, I, I played on, on Friday afternoon. But that, that is my favorite thing to do re- to relax. During the offseason, I usually try to play you know, a couple times a week if I can. Uh, for, me, for me, that's the thing. That, you know, just to go up there, you know, go outdoors for four hours, play golf. It, it, it's kind of a one thing that like, takes my mind off of work for a few hours. And I can just kind of uh, be in my own zone and, and take my mind off it. So... When I can, that's my favorite thing to do. The, the unfortunate thing, being a, a Ohio State football beat writer, is that from August to January, there's really not much time to play, and then you've still got to wait a couple more months uh, for the snow to melt and for it to really get warm enough to go play golf. So I really only get like a, a five-month like real golf season, but I would say that's my favorite thing to do to to do to relax. One person that did very little relaxing on Saturday, Dan, Jameson Williams, who of course transferred from Ohio state was possibly the fastest player on the Ohio state roster. We heard for years. Now we're seeing that speed on the field at Alabama, three 80 plus yard touchdowns on Saturday. And I think a lot of Ohio state fans were really raising their eyebrows at that one going, man, the, the Ohio State coaches couldn't have done something with, with that guy. So Silver Sniper asks, what does JMO's resounding success at Bama tell us about Bama's ability to utilize talent compared to Ohio State? Why on this green earth, Silver Sniper asks, did no one have him returning kicks? You mean to tell me Bama figured out in a few months what Ohio State couldn't figure out in the several years we had him? I will say that I also mentioned that to Dan at the game was, did Ohio State even have Jameis Williams returning kicks? And I think the plan was for Jamison Williams to be incorporated in the kick return game for Ohio State this year if he were to stay. Obviously, that did not happen. What do you make of that question, Dan? And why could why could Jamison Williams not have had that success at Ohio State that he's having at Alabama? Yeah, I think it's absolutely fair to question, you know, should Jamison Williams have been out there returning kickoffs instead of Demario McCall last year? Because he's been fantastic in that regard at Alabama. I mean, truthfully... He, he's been a lot better than I expected at Alabama. I, I thought he would do well at Alabama, but he, he's, he's been better than I expected at Alabama. So you got to give Alabama credit. I mean, they, this is what they do. This is what they do. This is why they've been the most successful program in the country because they can find a guy like that who hasn't done a whole lot somewhere else and, and make him into a star there. So uh, you got to give Alabama a ton of credit for that. This still isn't one where I look – I mean, it, it's kind of similar to like the whole Joe Burrow conversation from a couple of years ago of where I look at it and go, okay, well, yeah, I, I think certainly you see what he's doing there and you think Jamison Williams could help Ohio State right now. But is he better than Chris Olave or Garrett Wilson or Jackson Smith and Jigba? I don't know about that. So 
this still isn't one where I look at and go, man, they really screwed up by not being able to keep Jamison Williams around because I still think the receivers they have are, are phenomenal. And I think the reality of a situation was Jamison knew he was good enough to start just about anywhere else in the country, and he wasn't going to start at Ohio State. So that's why things ended up the way they did. But, yeah, I do think it's probably fair to wonder why he wasn't out there returning kicks last year because I think a lot of people wanted to see him return kicks when he got to campus as a freshman. And certainly, you know, you do wonder about the fact that he played last year, but he really wasn't very productive you know, why, why, why wasn't he more productive? Uh, it's hard to say. I mean, if he, had he stayed at Ohio state with another year of college experience, you know, maybe he'd be doing things like this for Ohio state right now too. That's, that's hard to say. And I'm, I'm not going to criticize Ohio state too much for this one, just because I do think the wide receivers they have are very elite, but yeah, you never, you never love seeing a guy transfer and then become a demonstrably better player somewhere else than he was for you. I personally, though, it brings me joy to see Jam- Jamison Williams oh, yeah. having success. And I hope and he has continued success. It brings a lot success. of the Ohio State players joy, too, just based on how they've reacted on Twitter when he's made these big plays. Yeah, for sure. And Dan, we'll close out here with a couple of softies. One from Daniel. What do you guys think of the red alternate uniforms for the Penn State game? Of course, he's referring to the all-scarlet look that Ohio State debuted the other day with the, the scarlet pants to match the scarlet jerseys, keeping the silver helmets, of course. I don't really know how I feel about I don't I don't mind it too much. I mean, it's not like they're going to be wearing that uniform every game or anything like that or planning to to wear it multiple times necessarily. I don't mind it. I don't really feel strongly about it one way or the other, to be honest. I tend to think with uniforms that, for example, the Cleveland Browns, when the Browns went away from their all-brown color rush look that they were doing and went back to a more classic look that I think that always kind of looks better, kind of going back to the roots, not trying to do too much. I tend to think traditional looks for some of these old historical football programs, whether it's the NFL or college football, look better in general. But I don't really mind these ones one way or another. Yeah, I'm I'm always in the boat with alternate uniforms that I can't really judge them until I actually see them on the field. Like, I think back to, I think it was 2017 when they did the wolves uniforms but the grays and i remember when i first saw them like i didn't like them at all like i thought these are these are stupid but then when we actually saw them on the field i'm like these actually look pretty sweet so i don't think i can judge it until i actually see them on the field my initial reaction though would be like i i think they're fine like i i don't you know i think i think the thing i like about these is i think they're still staying true to that classic traditional Ohio State look. The jersey's still the same. It's just scarlet pants. I think I saw some other people saying this on Twitter too. I'd, what I'd like to see is I'd like to see them also incorporate these new scarlet pants into a road look because I think the scarlet pants with the white uniforms could look pretty cool. So I'm intrigued to see if maybe they do that for the Michigan game or, or one of the other road games. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have a super strong opinion one way or the other. I do think generally for Ohio State, I think it's good to stay true to that traditional scheme. But I, I don't. I think this does. You know, like I'd like to see a more traditional gray uniform at some point too. Like I think, I think that would be cool. So 
I like it. I think it works. I think it gives you some other options too in terms of different combinations you could use in the future without it being something that's, you know, completely off the wall that's completely different from what Ohio State fans are accustomed to. So I'll have a stronger opinion after we actually see it on the field, but I'd say all in all, I have a positive reaction toward it. To close things out here, here's a question that truly encapsulates everything that we've talked about today. Just kidding. It's a, it's a question about hot dogs, which I've, it tends to follow me, I feel like, but it probably follows us all on forums, message boards, on Twitter. It's a question that gets asked a lot. It's a hot debate. And here it is. You have a hot dog and you're about to eat. What condiments are you putting on the hot dog? And Shep1364 says that there is, in fact, a correct answer. What say you, Dan Hope? And for me, I just like some of that brown stadium mustard. There's different names for it. It's an Ohio thing. I'd never had it before I moved to Ohio. But uh, for me, I, I just like some of that brown stadium mustard on a hot dog. I'm pretty simple. Like, that's really all I need. Like, I can go for a good, uh, you know, chili dog with more stuff on it. But typically for me, for a hot dog, it's just a, a good stripe of that uh, brown stadium mustard for me. How about you? Oh, I agree with the mustard, but I will never really complain with just a hot dog with ketchup on it. I know some people think that that's disgusting. I don't understand why they think that. Do you think that? I'm not a huge ketchup guy. I, I will if I, I will dip fries in ketchup, but I've never been a big ketchup on a hot dog guy. Fair enough. I, I will never complain with a hot dog that just has ketchup on it. I do, however, Dirty Frank's, the hot dog restaurant in Columbus, is one of my favorite restaurants. I've got a hoodie, a Dirty Frank's hoodie. I've gone there for birthdays. For, for years and years. So they've got a whole bunch of different toppings and condiments that they put on stuff. I would highly recommend going there if you've never been there, but a lot of you probably have. But yeah, that's what I'll say. But but I will definitely die on the hill of putting ketchup on hot dogs because that's just what I've always done my whole life and I've never thought it was weird. So that's that's where I stand on that one. I do remember back when I was an Ohio State student, they used to have this cart called Boss Dogs and you and I used to stop there a lot of times for lunch if I was walking by it on campus. I remember one of the specials they had, I think it was like inspired by like Michael Simon's restaurant up in Cleveland, and it had like peanut butter and sriracha and jalapeno relish on it, and that was really good. Like I know that probably sounds like a weird combination, peanut butter on a hot dog, but that was really good. Like I've, I've, that, that's one of those things like I haven't found anywhere else that sells that same kind of hot dog. And I still miss that hot dog because it was really good. That does sound really good. But I will say one condiment I wouldn't typically put on a hot dog is like straight up relish. Like that's something I would not put on a right, hot dog like for Sweet myself. relish. Yeah, that's not my thing for a hot dog either. All right. I guess we'll, we'll finish it on that note then. Finish it talking about hot dogs as we prepare to watch Ohio State play against Rutgers this weekend. Kickoff at 3.30 p.m., on Big Ten Network, and we'll be back next week to talk about everything we learned in Piscataway and look ahead to Ohio State's next game, which will be a noon kickoff against Maryland on October 9. Thanks again for listening in, and have a great rest of your week.